Welcome to Under 30, the podcast series by the Youth Partnership that brings the research results, explores trends in young people's lives and themes relevant for youth policy and practice. Youth organizations experience the shrinking space for civil society in a variety of ways and on many different levels. Space can start to shrink when governments see civil society as a threat. As a result, they employ tactics to discredit and weaken them, thereby shrinking the space in which they can work. In this episode, we are discussing how the space for civil society is changing, and particularly for young people. We also reflect on the most recent developments impacting this change, for example, digitalization or COVID-19, and how young people are engaging with these changes. We are also discussing what can be done on different levels to address this trend. My name is Dariusz Grzemny and together with Lana Pasic from the Youth Partnership, we are talking about all that with Andreas Hirsch and Leonie Martin. Enjoy listening. Okay, so today we are talking about shrinking spaces for civil society organizations, especially for youth organizations or youth movements. Shrinking spaces, so-called shrinking spaces, because there are a lot of different uh, terms to describe this phenomenon. It's actually very, it's a very complex thing. It takes different forms in different places, not only in Europe, but also in the world. The impact is also different on young people, on youth organizations. How is this space actually changing, especially for, for youth organizations or youth movements nowadays in Europe? Yeah, it's, it is interesting. We are talking about closing spaces for civil society. At the same time, we can observe that these spaces are changing. They are certainly contested. There is a struggle going on to maintain the space, to expand the space. But also there is a, a natural change as society changes, the dynamics of the space are changing. In general, we can still say that it holds true that youth civil society and, and youth civil society organizations, they are laboratories for democracy, as it is often being called. And that remains a very important function of those. Yet, of course, the restrictions that they sometimes get that are being imposed on them makes it really difficult for young people to develop democratic awareness and, and, and become democratically active. So we see across Europe that there are certain countries where there are restrictions that are increasing for civil society in general, for young people in particular. And it's not only so that it is in countries where maybe there is a lot stronger populist movement happening, that there is more of backlashing against democracy, but also in countries where we have very well-established long histories of democracy, we see that there are threats. I'm from Germany, and even here in our country, with what you may not expect, there are certain um, initiatives by right-wing extreme parties to really undermine the work of youth organizations and the work of civil society by questioning them. In general, we can say that there are sometimes changes in the legal status for civil society organizations. Funding is being curbed. They are being placed with disappropriate reporting mechanism or bureaucratic hurdles that make it difficult um, for them to act freely. And the recent European Youth Forum study has shown that one-fifth of youth um, organizations in Europe believe that we have 
a limited space to civil society as young people, which is, in my perspective, quite shocking and quite alarming. And at the same time, we see that there are new spaces opening up for civil society. In general, the way that young people are engaging is changing. They are organizing themselves differently. It's more of an informal movement nowadays. It's more short term. And of course, a lot is shifting into the digital space, which has opened up a lot of um, new avenues and new topics and, and possibilities for young people. So it's not just that it's closing, it's also changing and it remains contested. So maybe we should call it changing spaces, although this probably would not really describe the situation, especially of the organizations that are living under kind of oppressive governments. Uh, I would call it like this. Uh, I personally come from Poland and I can really observe every day that the spaces are really shrinking for youth organizations, especially minority youth organizations and namely LGBT organizations, which are, I think, the, the most affected. On the other hand, what I can observe, what you actually said, Andreas, is that There is this race in, in informal youth movements, which are organizing themselves using social media sometimes, but sometimes not. Some, some, sometimes just addressing their, their friends, their colleagues, and they go on the streets. And there's these demonstrations every day nowadays in Poland when it comes to women's rights, for example. So, yeah, this is a very dynamic situation. Leonie, what do you think about it? How this space is, is shrinking or changing for youth organizations? What I can tell is that it's shrinking in very different ways. And this is why it's also so difficult to talk about it. What we've now seen in our work in the Advisory Council on Youth is that there is not enough data on this. There's not enough research about this. Just because there is no bigger understanding of this being a bigger trend that is happening throughout Europe. I'm talking now specifically about uh, shrinking civic space for youth. We are aware of shrinking civic space in general for civil society and what it might entail. But I can see that in the past few years, there's a bit more attention being paid to what it means for youth organizations, youth movements, as they are more vulnerable, as Andreas has already explained. And it's so difficult to target it, essentially, because it's, it feels very individually. It has different ways of, of talking about it. People have issues to open up about it and not see that, that it's part of something bigger. So it can be that they're part of smear campaigns, for instance. It can be something easy as bureaucratic hurdles in financing. It can be that the association law suddenly changed and you don't know what to do. Suddenly you want to lead something easy, but essentially what you want to do is you want to organize some activities. You don't want to deal with more bureaucracy as such. Financing might be difficult. Then your organization suddenly is too political, for instance, to rent a space. What I can see in certain countries right now is that It's becoming harder and harder for young people with vulnerable backgrounds to become active just because being active is putting yourself out there. It means putting yourself, your family out there. It means that your career options, for instance, they diminish. I see people having to take decisions on, can I allow myself to do that? Am I financially independent enough to do that? Is my family okay with our name being out there? It's just very dangerous. I was thinking about it and when I come back in my memories into the, the seminar on shrinking spaces for, uh, for civil society that was organized by the youth department of the Council of Europe, where we actually had a lot of guests uh, from different institutions and organizations as well. Uh, there were some points that were very interesting. One of the points I remembered that was very interesting was that Of course, we're talking about shrinking spaces of the actions or inaction by the government. So this is how the, the spaces are shrinking. Sometimes the government acts 
by making sure that some organizations do not have access to financing or that there is oppressive legislations that they put forward. On the other hand, I remember some of the guests of the seminar said that when they were analyzing why it happened was that, and one of the points was very interesting, was that in the recent years, organizations, especially youth organizations, have become more political than they used to be before. Because until then, civil society organizations were very much seen as charity organizations. So as organizations that kind of organize leisure time activities for young people, making sure that young people have something to do. And then another thing that I remember that was mentioned was the question why actually it happened taking aside all the actions or inactions by the government. And one of the points that was mentioned was that it somehow was allowed by the society. So the society didn't show support to, to, to civil society organizations. And the reason why it didn't show support was actually that the civil society organizations were not really good in communicating to society what they are doing and why they are doing this. And this was an interesting point, which I recall from the seminar. I don't know if there's anything you would like to say about it. I think uh, maybe I will just jump in as well to link with that and then kind of lead that to the question in terms of how are young people engaging with these changes because recently also we were at uh, Offenburg Talks and this question of kind of political youth uh, engagement versus the non-political one and how certain uh, young people or initiatives or youth civil society can be kind of sometimes viewed or divided by governments into this good civil society which provides services versus bad civil society in the sense of those ones that are challenging the systems, the ones that are rocking the boats and that are sometimes asking for changes within the system, while those ones that are keeping the system going and providing the services are rewarded by the government through the financial support. So I guess for us, it would be the question as well in terms of how are young people engaging with these different ways and kind of the changes towards the political civil society. Bilani, you would like to start? Yes, I can start. Um, I, I think it's an interesting question because I would contest some things about that. What we've heard uh, in a discussion years beforehand is that youth is not becoming political enough. And now what I can hear through it is essentially youth is becoming too political. So I think there's a paradox uh, that just needs to be addressed at that and what is right and what is wrong in that. I, well, how youth is engaging with this trend of shrinking civic space. I think on one hand, we need to acknowledge that there are people who don't have the resources or don't have the mental resources as well to cope with these challenges and uh, are becoming less active. At the same time, there are some that put these issues on the agenda, for instance. So what we've seen in the European youth sector essentially is that this topic was put on the agenda it was mentioned in a European Youth Forum, which is the biggest, the globally biggest youth platform of civil society, representing national youth councils, representing youth organizations. And this has led to the Advisory Council on Youth putting it on the agenda, leading on to currently a draft process to have a recommendation on the topic. So it is on the political agenda. What we now need to make sure is that there are enough resources. I can also see that there are some funding programs now opening up to build more resilience on this. So these are the, the few things where I can feel that, you know, youth is, is gathering some energy to kind of get back to that space that 
has been taken away from them or the generations beforehand. I think one crucial thing that we also have to keep in mind for shrinking civic space for youth is that the youth sector in general always has to deal with a high turnover of members. So the challenges that might have happened three years ago or so might not have, you know, might not be in the knowledge of the people who are currently active. They don't see like the entire progress as such, but they just see what's, what's currently on the face there. And there I also see that more organizations are collecting more and more their own stories going back the past 10 years, essentially, reflecting on what has happened in different countries to them. I think um, continuing on what has been said before and also the example that you, Derek, had been given before in Poland with the situation of, of minority rights. And I think that is one example where a big minority group has been really um, discriminated against. And this has affected a lot of young people in particular that also have spoken out quite vocally about it. And what you can see in terms of communication, I'm also not quite sure you had said that they, young youth organizations or youth civil society organizations are not so well um, organized and communicating about the causes they're fighting for. Again, I would not maybe 100% agree to that because I think we see nowadays so much of global events and, and, and European developments entering each one of our screen at home. And, and you really get to hear what is happening in other parts of the world. And I think there's also a lot of solidarity that is happening and increasing within civil society as a united force in Europe, I would say, or globally. On the political level, I think there is, as Leonie also has mentioned, there is developments, there is also a willingness in the, in the council conclusions on fostering young people's democratic engagement and awareness that were just presented yesterday at the Youth Ministers' Conference. Again, the, the importance of the civil space has been emphasized and the, the strength of youth organizations has been emphasized. So there is political willingness, I think, but then again, it has to come back to the action level and it has to be implemented both in a very big structural way um, looking at European structures and, of course, specifically in, in the member states. Thank you. I was not suggesting that youth organizations are badly organized. What I was uh, trying to say when talking about communicating the work to, to, to the to wider audiences is actually about telling other people and make them understand what the organizations are for and what they are doing and what impact they have. Just simple as that. And I think that was the point that was discussed. But thank you, uh, Lana, you wanted to add something. Yeah, just to uh, go back to to the point uh, raised by both Leonie and Andreas, yes, we are seeing at the political level, more maybe at the European level, a greater recognition for the need to invest into the space for civil society. But then Leonie also mentioned this point of the exclusivity and the young active people who are being involved in certain political processes and it, considering all the challenges that young people are facing today in terms of both the economy and the society, but also dealing with life and uh, trying to navigate the way through it. My question would be, is participation within these spaces a privilege? And uh, we've discussed how the how certain groups of young people are being uh, excluded from it. So who engages and to what extent do young people actually feel that this shrinking space is their space uh, for activism? Yes, the question of participation is very important. And indeed, it, it is a privilege. It, it has been a privilege and it remains a privilege for those who are better educated, for those who have better access and who have better structural conditions for participation. And again, quoting the, the study from the European Youth Forum, uh, saying that one fourth of youth organizations are not fully capable of engaging in advocacy action because they are 
afraid of retribution. And that just shows that it is not, it is not a granted access for anybody to participate actively. And there are mechanisms also, of course, that are being trying to be implemented on the European level. We have the EU youth dialogue, for example, but these are, again, measures that really only very few young people get in contact with and get access to. And strengthening youth participation, as we all know, mostly needs to happen on the local level or is most effective if it starts from the local level. And this is, of course, again, where it's up to um, the municipal level or state level to initiate those participation activities that are especially inviting for those who have difficult access. So this is something that should increase and, and needs to increase. Of course, the question is, how will it in certain countries? We were trying to, to, to sketch the whole, the picture of what this, what the shrinking spaces are and, and what is actually happening in the youth field and, and what are, let's say, proposals put forward in, in order to tackle it. I was thinking maybe to move a little bit to the times that we are now living now where uh, the world has changed in the past couple of months for all of us and for young people, I would say it's changed dramatically. They don't go to school anymore. They, they go to their computer and this is their school. The, I would say the, the social contacts are also very limited. And we also know from emerging studies on the impact of COVID-19 on, on the lives of young people that youth work was also very heavily affected by COVID-19. You also mentioned that... Uh, that media or digital media was used a lot in order to uh, go against a little bit shrinking space or to expand the spaces. And uh, so there's a lot of things happening to society at large, but to civil society as well, of course. So how do you see these changes? How do these changes actually affect the shrinking spaces for civil society organizations or in particular for young people's movements or, or youth organizations? I think we will know the concrete answer to this only in full retro retrospective. However, from what I can see right now is that there are different waves. Uh, I think the first wave was similar to the pandemic. <laughs> the first wave in the youth sector was, all right, let's do this. We can handle it. No problem. Then uh, a second wave of fatigue because everyone realized that online meetings might be very tough, but also not everyone has the same preconditions to participate right now. Not everyone has specifically one laptop, for instance, to engage in an online meeting. That might just be, if at all, one computer for a family. The online connections might not be good. Simple things in quotation marks that already directly exclude you from things. You might not have a room by yourself, for instance, to, to take a bit of time to engage. I can see that we're in a third phase, a third wave already, where people are adapting, where they realize, okay, perhaps not a weekend seminar, perhaps just a few hours there, a few hours here. I think it's, I think those that have already been well organized beforehand and less challenged, they will survive. I'm worried for those that are already challenged before the pandemic and whose structures are uh, a bit looser, let's say. What I'm not worried for is basically social media activism. Uh, I think we've seen that there is room for this. Uh, I'm looking at, for instance, the Black Lives Matter, how it had roots over in Europe. I'm looking at the, the general solidarity that I see for abortion law matters in Poland, for instance. This is, I see things happening <laughs> across Europe for that. The thing that we have to keep in mind there is the level of disinformation, for instance. Where do people get information from? 
how is their uh, media literacy when it comes to those things. Thank you. Thank you, Leoni. Andreas, would you like to add something? Sure. I think Leoni really, really put it well. There, there are certain things to be taken into consideration. Of course, digitally, a lot of activism is still happening. And since the physical space has been so restricted and a lot has been shifted to the digital space, what we can still see is that it leads to also more polarization of society. So things get more heated up and young people being confined more to digital spaces, they are more vulnerable to fake news, to wrong information, to disinformation, to extremist groups. Even now we're even talking about a new form of extremism, as in those people who are completely disengaging with, with, with the corona discussion. And so I think this is quite critical. I think another point is that young people in this time, they should be more active and youth organizations should be more proactive in changing the public perception of young people in the pandemic. Because I think that is also a very important point that youth have been really blamed a lot for some of the spikes in the corona spreading of the pandemic that we have seen. And whereas research shows us that young people are not necessarily so much, let's say, worse in their behavior than other age groups, and they're just trying to lead a normal life. And yet young people have really been stigmatized during this pandemic as being irresponsible, which is not really the case. And as Leonie said, a lot of young people have engaged in solidarity action, like 30% of young people across Europe have become voluntarily active in the crisis. So I think there's also a role for civil society and for young people to put these things higher on the agenda and change the image of young people that are currently being discussed. You both discussed kind of these new ways and trends of young people's engagement. And we have talked about the impact of COVID and how on not only the shrinking space, but also on young people, but also the, the new trend towards the use of uh, digital tools for engagement. But we have seen this year also uh, that young people are maybe engaging in a different topics uh, a bit more than previously. So while last year when we had our symposium on political participation, uh, a lot of attention was placed on on climate movement. For example, this year we're seeing, seeing uh, youth engagement in kind of solidarity action much more than we did before. So maybe if you would like to comment, what are some of the new topics or new thematic areas in which young people are becoming more active now than, than they were in the previous uh, years? Yes, I think it's interesting and it connects to what I've been saying before that I think there's a much more a global spread of topics and issues that is happening. And to me, what really sticks out still is the Black Lives Matter discourse and the whole decolonialization narratives that are so important and that I, I see a lot of activism of young people, of individuals using a lot of social media to, to bring those topics to the light and to discuss them more broadly. And it is to be wished for that this stays and that it is um, taken into the real space also more literally and it's being followed by political action. So to me, the decolonialization and, and, and post-colonial narratives are, are quite essential at the moment. And still, I think, fair enough, young people are still with the climate and sustainability topic because they have to. And in connection with COVID, I think it, it gains another relevance. If I can just add up what I noticed as well is a bigger understanding of the intersectionality um, of climate. So people are talking more about how does the climate crisis actually affect vulnerable groups, for instance, and in that regard, this intersectionality, I think, explains this embracement of intersectional uh, approach, for me, at least explained a bit 
why Black Lives Matter was so popular because we were able to uh, engage a bit more, analyze of what is currently going on our continent in that regard. I I still have one more question, actually. It's probably the most difficult question, but I think we have to put it on the table because we all agree that the situation is quite serious for some organizations in some countries. Then what can we do? What can the youth organizations do? What can young people do? We probably cannot say what we can do, but what to start with? I think the easiest thing to do is to connect with others, to tell them your stories, to ask them about their stories, to realize it's part of a bigger trend, because that way it helps a lot of activists as well to deal with the issue, to make it less mentally challenging for them as well. It's part of something bigger. It is, it is not the activists themselves to connect then I think it's a lot of investing in own resources. I know that sometimes we have project activities and they focus on the amazing projects that are coming up, but we also need to invest in our own people and make sure that the structure is well working, that there is not just one person fighting for the organization, but that there's a group that works together in solidarity, that perhaps there's also a crisis plan that you have discussed beforehand of, okay, who do I contact? How does it work to get to be mentally prepared for those things and then to connect again, connect not just with youth civil society, but connect with wider civil society. See if there are civil society platforms in your country or perhaps on European level can make sure that these stories are shared and these concerns are also heard where your contributions, as you said, Zavik, where, where people can also hear what your organization is special for and why this work needs to be protected in, in the way that we need it. So this is the, the one thing that I would encourage. And then the other thing is also, if we want people to act up for something, uh, to act for something and to ask for change, people need to understand what the direct consequence is for their own personal life. And someone who's not engaged or active in civil society might not see it directly. Also, given the fact that shrinking civic space is something very broad and it's not telling you precisely what it is. So we need to be able to break it down to explain to our grandma essentially on Christmas, perhaps on the phone, unfortunately, what this now means concretely and learn from other movements, right? Black Lives Matter profited a lot from the Instagram stories explaining precisely what our concepts and what our theories. And I think this is what we need to gear ourselves up to. Thank you. Yeah, I would like to connect with what Leonie said using her own term. And I very much agree to what she said. I think for all of us as working in the youth field, be it as educators, as youth work leaders, as um, officers, a national agency or whatever our role is, I think really important is to encourage that criticalness of young people and to encourage spaces where they can also raise controversial issues. And I think everyone has a role to play in nurturing, nurturing that democratic and critical alertness of young people and strengthen their agency in also expressing uh, what they are being concerned about. We may not always be able to change the systematic conditions that we are under, but we can continue to make noise and we can continue to be loud and vocal about the issues that we are concerned about and the young people are concerned about. And I think it is this mutual support that is very much needed. And that very often, I think, uh, means for a lot of us working in this field to be comfortable with the uncomfortable and to listen to critical and controversial voices and on big systemic questions, on questions that we need to raise and ask and discuss more provocatively. 
And so I think that is important. And as we know, the role of youth work has been defined in creating spaces and building bridges. So yes, creating a space is one thing, but then I think it is important to build the bridge also to the policy level. Darek, you had mentioned before, maybe that's not the point where to start, but it is still a point where um, to bring it to and to bridge it ultimately, because I think that is equally important. Thank you all for a very interesting talk. We can say that shrinking youth civic space is a wearing trend, which is not limited to the authoritarian or dictatorial regimes. And the COVID-19 pandemic made it even worse in some places around Europe. There is definitely a need for specific policy mechanisms and instruments to address it, as well as solidarity and support to those youth organizations and movements that are affected by this phenomenon. And some of those remedies have been already mentioned uh, by our guests and they have been implemented. Thank you all for listening and hopefully you will listen to our next episode already next year. So Happy New Year from the whole partnership team. Music